I want us to look this morning at the fact that God remembers you. Now, that sounds like something great and it would look good on a a Christian greeting card. But this is, is an absolute fact because, to be quite honest with you, sometimes it's not that God does not remember us, but sometimes we do not remember him. But... I can remember a friend of mine a few years ago was telling me about the fact that they got up Sunday morning for church and they went outside. They couldn't find their keys. So they went outside and they looked in the vehicle and the keys were in the vehicle. All right. And uh, they tried to get into the car and they tried to crank it and it would it would barely even I mean, it'd be like, you know what I'm talking about? Not even fully turn over. You know, when you get the woo. You know you're in trouble, right? Well, it wouldn't turn over. The battery was too low, and they noticed that the battery was on enough to see the gauges. There was no gas in the tank. And and the wife thought, well, you know, obviously, I mean, I filled up just the other day. I haven't ran out the gas, but the garage door was closed, and they realized that uh, his wife had gotten in that night, got the groceries in, left the car running, and never cut it off. You can't make that stuff up, folks. And uh, I, I just thought, man, you know, you talk about forgetting something. Uh, that's something you probably don't want to forget. You know, hey, did you leave your car running? Well, actually, I did all night long. But uh, I, I just, you know, those are things that you, that you do not want to forget. And I can remember, you know, if you've ever been over trying to get a group from point A to point B, my biggest fear has always been that I do not forget someone. Because sure enough, if you forget someone, you are going to hear about that the rest of your life. And, and thankfully, knock on wood, I have never left anybody. Uh, I've always came back with the same amount of people that I had to start with, and I don't look at changing that. So, senior adults, the next time we go off, I don't want you wandering off, okay? Uh, I want to make sure. I want to make sure that we have everybody where they need to be. But that's always been my biggest fear of forgetting something, forgetting someone, forgetting a promise that I had made. And what we see here today is that I want you to be encouraged because we all have different points in our life. We all have different stressors. We all have different, I guess you could say, needs. But at the end of the day, for those of us that call God our Creator, that call God our, 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 our Lord and our Savior, and, and we believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior, we have something that the lost do not have. We have the presence of God. But even those of us that are Christians, whether you've been a Christian for five minutes or 50 years, we all have those times in our life to where we kind of feel like, uh, uh, God, I'm over here. You know, maybe you didn't hear me, but, but I really need you right now. Well, well, we see here, we see that in Genesis chapter 8, the flood has just finished. And uh, we see that, do you realize that, I don't know if when your Sunday school teacher used to tell you this story, that Noah and his family were in that boat for over a year. Over a year. Can you imagine being locked up in a barn over water for over a year. It probably got old. And, and I mean, have y'all ever taken a family vacation? Family vacations are great for the first two or three days. 
It's like a friend of mine said, family and fish are just alike. After a few days, they begin to stink. And, I, and all joking aside, I mean, I, I look back at my, my family vacations, and, and when I've gone with other friends, I wouldn't take anything for them. But, but after a certain time, you know, especially if you have company over to your, your house, you realize you don't have total access to the TV and what you want to watch. You got to feel like you got to entertain somebody, and then before you know it, it's just like, okay, uh, it's, what, when did you say y'all were leaving? <laughs> and uh, it's just because we're such creatures of habit. But can you imagine forced family fun for over a year in a barn on water? And and there's you can't go to your friend's house, guys, because they're dead. You know, it's it's just. You, and, and this is what Noah and his family were going through. And what I want us to see here in verses 1 through 4, our first point for this morning, and I love the way the verse says is, God remembers the faithful. The whole thing that we talked about with Noah is why, didn't, why was Noah even on God's radar? Why did God choose Noah to build the ark and to save his family? Well, because Noah was faithful in a generation that was not faithful. Verses 1 through 4 of chapter 8. Let's look at that. I could just read the first three words and then go home, just because it is that powerful, where it says, God remembered Noah. God remembered Noah, as well as all the wildlife and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. God caused, what did God cause? God caused a wind to pass over the earth and the water began to subside. The sources of the watery depth and the floodgates of the sky were closed and the rain from the sky stopped. The water steadily receded from the earth and by the end of 150 days, the waters had decreased significantly. The ark came to rest in the seventh month, on the seventh day of the month, on the mountains of Arad. Folks, what we see is that God never forgot Noah. And, and what this means is, is God didn't set the whole flood in motion and, and put Noah in the ark and close the door and say, okay, I'll be back in ten. You know, watch TV, don't, don't make your sister mad, and I'll be back to, to watch in a little bit. That's not what he was saying. But, but when it says God remembers Noah, what it means is that Noah had God's full attention. Noah had God's full attention. There are theologies and there are religions that believe that God has put this world into motion and spun everything up and just kind of sits back and watches it. That's not the God I serve. The God I serve remembers me. The God that you serve remembers you. And you have his active attention. What does God remember? God could have easily forgotten all about Noah. He could have said, uh, oh my goodness, I, I did that flood thing and, and I forgot all about him. I wonder what, what he's doing. Um, I put him in the ark and th- that was a big boat. And yeah, I, oh, I forgot to turn the spigot off. I need, I, need to, I need to cut the water spigot off so the flood will stop. 
That's not what he was saying. I mean, everything that God did, he had a purpose for. But God did not forget. God remembered Noah, and God remembers you. You may feel like God has forgotten you. Maybe in, you have got the number, you're waiting in line, you've got number 150, and you feel like God is on number two. And you feel like maybe you're in like the line at the DMV that never goes anywhere. You know, that, that maybe that God has forgotten you. No, he has not. What does God not remember? I'll tell you what God does not remember. For those of us that have Jesus Christ as our Savior, he remembers our sins no more. What a beautiful thing that it says God remembered Noah. How wonderful is that? That God can remember Noah and the things that he doesn't remember about us are the things that we hope he forgets. Those sins that we have confessed to him. And we see in this passage that destruction, the destruction of the flood, turns into a deliverance. The ark saves them. The destruction of the world turns into Noah's family's deliverance. Like, I, I love a theme park just like anybody else. And it just drives me crazy how you can get in a line for something that lasts maybe two and a half minutes, yet you have to wait two and a half hours. It, 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 it just it blows my mind. Two and a half hours you wait. And then there's these people that have a little bit more money than you, and they get the fast pass. You know what the fast pass is, right? I just want to punch those people. And if you're, if you're a fast passer, don't be near me. I'm just, I'm just kidding. I mean, hey, if you've got that money you want to do the fast pass, that's fine. But, but yeah, basically you can cut in line for an extra fee. But, but what we see here is that we have to... Why would someone wait in the blazing hot summer sun two and a half hours to ride something that's going to last two and a half minutes? Because it's fun. And it's worth it. It's worth the wait. Or why in the world would somebody... Have Thanksgiving dinner, clean up the dishes, and then go camp out in a Best Buy parking lot on a sidewalk starting at 10 o'clock on Thanksgiving so they can get the one laptop that was advertised for $99.99 at 5 in the morning when the doors open or whenever the Black Friday thing. Why would people do that? Because they love it. They want to get that deal. And what we see here is destruction turns into deliverance. And what we see that the waiting, the the year of waiting, yes, I'm sure that it was, you know, if, if we were to actually go into the ark with Noah and with the animals and think about this, what do you think they talked about? What do you think? I mean, what did they do all day? Well, number one, they had a lot of animals to take care of. So I'm sure the chore list was, was right up there. And I'm sure the one that had uh, clean up the mess uh, is probably the one that was getting punished for the day. But you know what? They probably talked about how sad they were that people didn't believe Noah. They probably talked about how the friends that didn't believe them, that didn't have faith, that perished. And they probably talked about what is it going to be like when we finally get off of this boat. Their destruction 
had turned in to their deliverance. And folks, I, this goes, we can take this concept to our lives. And I remember sitting in the mirror, looking at my life, and it, I, have, I had self-destructed to the point to where there was nothing left. And I had hit the bottom. And my destruction turned into my deliverance because I finally had a chance to look up. I hit the bottom and praise God, the bottom was solid. And I looked up and my destruction turned into my deliverance because when I was at my lowest, I found Jesus Christ. And when you have times in your life, whether you are not a Christian or even you are a Christian, and you feel like, yeah, I know the Lord says that I won't put any more on you than you can bear. That's nowhere in Scripture, by the way. Nowhere does it say God won't put more on you than they can bear. It does say that when you are tempted, He will provide a way out. But I'll be, I'll be honest with you. Somebody sold us a bunch of lies. Because God does put on us more than we could bear. Why is that? So we will depend on Him. So that our destruction, our inability to run our own lives becomes our dependence upon God. Our destruction leads to our deliverance. And just as God brought the flood with, with the wave of His arm, He could also cause it to rescind. It says, God caused the winds to begin to dry the land, Basically, this was God's big hair dryer. I can't imagine what that looked like. You'd think maybe that when they started seeing the water recede, they thought, man, it's almost here. It's almost here. It's kind of like, you ever gone on a long road trip and you say, are we there yet? And what do they always say? Uh, nope, not yet. Closer than we were. It got to a point sometimes where I would do road trips and, and people would ask me, how, long would it, how much longer we had? Automatically, I don't know how long it takes, but I would say, oh, about 15 minutes. <laughs> they would ask me 15 minutes later, how long does it take? 15 minutes. And, then, and they finally realized that they, they couldn't ask anymore. But the thing that I love about this is that we, we don't know exactly what they were talking about on the ark. And I don't know exactly why it took over a year for them to stay on the boat. But I do know this. God knew that they needed rest. God knew that it was not safe for them to be on the earth. And though they might not have understood why, God knew more than they knew. And to you and to me, we, we don't understand why we might be sidelined with an illness. We don't understand why we might have got the bum rap of somebody's decision that we had nothing to do with. We might wonder how we got to this point and why we are not as active or why we didn't get that promotion or why we, you know, why, why, why. And the fact is, God knows and we don't. Noah was ready to get off the ark, but God was, God was not ready for him to do so. God was preparing the earth for Noah before he stepped out into it. Think about this, folks. Every one of you in here, I don't know where it is, I don't know what it is, but in here, you know, and the Holy Spirit is telling you right now, God is calling you to do something. I don't know what it is, but God is calling you to do something. And here's the great fact. Just as God was preparing the ground for Noah, look at me. Just as God was preparing 
the ground for Noah in his decision. God prepares the ground for you. All you have to do is take a step when he opens the door. God will not call you to something he has not prepared you for. We can get impatient in those times, but we need to take comfort in knowing that God is preparing the world before he calls us to act. The second thing we see is that God prepares the way of the faithful. God prepares the way of the faithful. And we see in verses 5 through 19 of chapter 8, it says, Then the waters continued to recede until the tenth month, and the tenth month on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were visible. Can you imagine that? You ever been on a boat and you're out in the middle of a lake or an ocean and you see no coast at all? Kind of a sinking feeling, isn't it? Knowing that there's nowhere that you can see dry land. That's why I could never be in the Navy. I can never be a, a fisherman or, or someone that stays on the water because I, there's, there's bad things that are in the water, you know? <laughs> things that want to eat me. You know, and I, I've always been scared of water. I don't know why. But uh, but anyway, the, the thing is, is that with Noah and them, there was no land at all. And then when they did start seeing land pop out of the water, it was mountains. That gives you an idea how much water there was. And as we read on, it says in verse nine, then he sent out a dove to see whether well, actually I need to go back before that. It says on verse 5, the waters continued to recede until the 10th month. Uh, Verse 6, after 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made and he sent out a raven. So the first bird he sends out is what? A raven. There you go. And we also see that uh, it went back and forth until the waters had dried up from the earth. Then he sent out a dove to see whether the water was on the earth's surface had gone down. But the dove found no resting place on her foot. For her foot, she returned to him in the ark because the water covered the surface of the whole earth. He reached out and brought her into the ark to himself. So Noah waited seven more days and sent out the dove from the ark again. And in verse 11, we see... That uh, when the dove came back to him that evening, there the dove had plucked an olive leaf and it was in her beak, showing that vegetation was growing again. And Noah knew that the water on the earth's surface had gone down. And after he had waited another seven days, he sent out the dove, but she did not return to him again. In the 601st year, in the first month, on that first day of the month, the water that had covered the earth, was dried up. Then Noah removed the ark's cover and saw that the surface of the ground was drying. By the 27th day of the second month, the earth was dry. So we see there, in verse 15, Then God spoke to Noah, Come out of the ark with your wife, your sons, your sons' wives with you. Bring out every living thing of all flesh. And so we see that he calls them out. And then verse 18 says, So Noah, along with his sons, came out and all the wildlife. And then verse 19, all the wildlife and livestock and every bird and everything that 
crawls on the ground, came out into their groups. Who led the animals to the ark? God did. Who shut the door? God did. Who opened the door? God did. Who called the animals to come out? God did. Remember this, church. You can force and push doors all you want, but the ones that God has for your life, He opens and He closes. You just have to walk and be obedient. That's the way God works. And we see that God calls us to step out and go. Let me show you a picture here. Uh, there are, are many different theologies and, and not one person is, is, is uh, not everyone could agree. There's no one that, that agrees on one certain uh, theory. But this is uh, a picture of what is believed to be the remnants of the ark. And you can see that it is, the outside of it looks kind of like a boat. I put that line to show you, they actually went to that site and they measured it. And it lines up exactly with the biblical measurements of the ark. And understand that, I mean, there, there, there's all kinds of YouTube videos you could go and watch. And, and they make a great case for this being the ark. And, and notice it says that the, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Arat. Sometimes people thought that maybe the ark was perched on the top of one mountain. It was just in that general area. But but this is actual footage. As a matter of fact, during World War One and World War Two, when pilots would, would fly across that section of Turkey, they would take pictures of that. And and so that is actually where people believe the ark is at and where it rests. They've been found in Turkey, those remains. Of all the places God would choose to have the ark make his final rest. Remember, it didn't have a motor. Didn't have a sail. Didn't even have a steering wheel. It was a barge. that just floated. Kind of like me at the ocean with a, with a floaty. I just go wherever the current takes me. I love it. Awesome. Of all the places, why did God cause it to go down on a mountain? Here's the thing, folks. It would have been much easier if it would have let down into a nice grassy field that was right by a stream for water to where they could have just gone out and popped up camp and, and kind of like one of those good old uh, camp, campground of America sites where you pull up, you hook up, and you're done. But no. God put them in the middle of the mountains. Why? Maybe it's protection. Maybe it's, uh, you know, I don't know. But the fact is, it was going to take work. And God, when God places us and puts us in positions to do his will, sometimes, well, I would say most of the time, no, all of the time, it's going to take work and it's going to take faith. We are on God's timetable, not our own. What do you think they were having to work on for that year they were in the boat? It's a word that we hate. To, do not pray for this because if you do, you'll get put in positions to practice it. It's called patience. I do not pray for patience. I have to use it a lot. 
But patience is what God was working on them with. And God works on us the same way. And then we see, let's look at the two birds just for a second. We saw that there was a raven that was set loose. Then there was a dove that came back. And then there was a third dove that did not return. So as we look on the left, you see the raven. And on the right, you see the dove. The raven is the largest member of the crow family. These birds are known as scavengers. And they are not picky about what they eat. They will eat whatever they can eat. Whether it be roadkill, a bag of french fries on the road, or chips, or bread, or whatever else. They will eat wherever they are at. And the raven in the Old Testament among the Israelites was seen as an animal, this is a big deal, that was seen as unclean. And so the raven was let loose and it never came back. Why did it never come back? Because it was content to live in death. It was content to feed off of the carcasses and the remains of everything that was left after the flood. It did not mind living in death. So symbolically we see of the raven, it was an unclean animal. And even though God had had basically rebooted the entire world, there is still death and sin and separation in the world. And that's what that raven shows. And then the raven uh, would rather have lived in death than rather enjoy the sanctuary of living in the ark. Now the dove, though, the dove was seen as a clean animal, so clean that it was actually worthy of sacrificing. And the dove would not contaminate herself with death, so the dove would come back to the ark. And as if in slow motion, you can see Noah reaching out and getting the dove and drawing the dove back into the ark. Where the raven represents death, the dove represents life. God calls you, my friend. If you are not saved, God calls you into the ark. He calls you to his son, Jesus Christ. You do not have to live among the dead. You do not have to feed off of what the world has. You can come to him and you can be saved. But only we saw only God can open and shut the door. Because when it comes to our salvation, Ephesians chapter 2 Verses 8 and 9 say this, For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift. And not from works, so that no one could boast. For we are his creation, created in Christ for good works, which God prepared ahead of time, so that we should walk in them. The last thing we see in verses 20 through 22 is that worship, worship, is the first response of the faithful. The very first thing they do after being through, I I fully believe they had a big dose of post-traumatic stress disorder. They probably were having a lot of problems. But the one thing that they knew, we saw that in the beginning, God called them to bring all these extra seven of other animals, you know, seven sets for animals that they could eat 
and animals they can sacrifice. So the very first thing they do when they get off the boat, let's look at verses 20 through 22 of chapter 8. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord. He took some of every kind of clean animal and every kind of clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, he said to himself, I will never curse the ground because of man, even though man's inclination is evil from his youth. And I will never again strike down every living thing as I have done. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, and the day and the night will not cease. We see that the first thing that Noah did was worship, and the aroma of those sacrifices pleased God. Now, I could go to any kind of restaurant and eat myself until I cannot eat another bite. But if I drive by a Longhorn or a Logan's or something like that, and I smell that steak cooking, I get hungry again. I can't eat it, but it just smells so good. And for Noah, for him, the first thing he did was not build a tent for himself or or to make sure that all the animals got where they needed to go. The first thing he did is worship God. When you are stuck, when you are having to use patience, when you are in a situation where you feel like God has forgotten you, remember that God remembers you and He wants you and I to worship Him. That is our first response. Because How, how did Noah even know to do that? Because he was a man of faith. And faith is focused on worship. Why are you here this morning? Because your faith is focused on worship. Sacrifice, we see, is also required when faith meets worship. We see that animals were sacrificed. Can you imagine? when Noah didn't know exactly when he was getting all those animals on. But you realize, on that boat... God had marked some animals for survival and some animals for sacrifice. God had marked some of those animals for survival and some of them for sacrifice. Folks, we are going to have to have sacrifice. If our Christianity costs us nothing, then it is worth nothing because we don't have Christianity. We have a religion. How can we ever worship something that cost us nothing? We see here, when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, worship without sacrifice. They had to sacrifice those animals. Worship without sacrifice is not worship at all. He says in Isaiah 1, 13, Stop bringing me useless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. It says when we worship and we are not sincere in our worship and we are not sacrificing of ourselves, that the aroma we give Him is a stench in the nostrils of a holy and righteous God. That we are stinking up His nose because we are not sincere in our worship. I don't know if you're sincere in your worship this morning. You don't know if I'm sincere in my worship this morning. Only God knows that. But it calls us, true worship calls us 
to sacrifice. Some of you are here today. You could be out in your yard putting out fertilizer. You could be getting that extra few hours of sleep. You could be, you know, hanging out with your family or doing whatever other people are doing. But you chose to be in the Lord's house. And that sacrifice, my prayer is, is going to make a difference in your life. Because you, this morning, at least for this morning, have placed worship as a priority in your life. And I pray that God pays that off for you. We see in verses 21 and 22 that God remembers us with a promise. Although God realized that humanity's heart was evil, we see even though even though God sent the flood, He knew that we would be evil again. He continues to love and reach out to mankind. For Noah, He sent an ark, but for you and for me, He sent His Son, Jesus Christ. God remembers you with that promise. And God remembers you. Are you the faithful? Are you a person of faith like Noah was? Today you may need patience to walk with God and depend on Him for His timing. Maybe you need to let God lead you to dry land. Maybe you need deliverance. Maybe you are are taken up in death and you need salvation. He offers that to you today. And maybe you just need assurance that when God promised to remember you, He does. If you'd like to accept Christ or you have a prayer need, you can come forward during our invitation. And if not, uh, pray for the person beside you. But would you stand and sing our hymn of invitation?